0: Um, I will be reading from uh, Romans 12, um, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect.
1: Good evening. I'd like to uh, thank the elders for giving us an opportunity to speak tonight. And uh, thank you for recognizing us on our graduation. And one of the great things that I found about graduation is getting to sleep in and watch Sports Center all day. <laughs> but along with watching Sports Center, it's come with a lot of problems for me because they've been talking a lot about some stuff that's not godly at all. They've been talking about homosexuality and they've been glorifying it. And I've been thinking about, I've really never had to deal with that watching, like I'm watching Sports Center. I want to see highlights of a football game, not, not that. But, but it's part of our culture now. So how do we face it? I mean, as Grayson just read, we're not to be conformed to this world, but we got to be transformed you will be turning your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians 6, Paul is writing and he says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, he's not saying, he's not specifically talking about your brother and sister in Christ, which there are a lot of passages that talk about that. But let's focus tonight on people who aren't in Christ if anyone is caught in a trespass you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness it's pretty cool that he uh, talks about being in a spirit of gentleness when just a few verse a few verses earlier he's talking about the fruit of the spirit and one of those is gentleness continues to write each one looking to yourself so that so that you too will not be tempted He's saying we gotta examine ourselves first. Like Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye before you try and take the speck out of your brother's. Paul continues to write, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Paul keeps going back and forth between ourselves and others throughout this passage. He's saying we gotta help others. We, We need to help them, but we also have to look at ourselves, we have to help ourselves out too. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in in regard to himself alone and not in regard to other to another we're not supposed to be like oh i'm I'm not doing what this person's doing, so that makes me better because uh, because everyone sinned and he who stumbles in one sin is accountable for all." Turn, if you will, to Second uh, Timothy, chapter 2, where Paul, writing to Timothy, telling him how to deal with situations like this. Second Timothy 2, 24 through 26. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all. Paul knows probably better than any of us here that there are going to be people who are not going to be kind to him. He was beaten and he went through a lot lot of torture for the Bible and for God. But he says, be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Again, he's talking about how we have to approach them with gentleness. We can't look down at them, we can't be like, you're doing this wrong, you have, to, you have to change. Even though it's important to correct them, we have to do so in a loving and gentle manner because if you do so in a mean manner, they'll, they'll immediately not listen to you. If perhaps, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. God's saying if we do so in a gentle way, they can get through it, but only through God, though. That's the only way we can get through these. We have to remember that when we're trying to help change people, it's God who's doing it. It's not us. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, one through 3. A lot of the time, uh, when you hear 1 Corinthians 13, we read the last part of the of the chapter, and that's usually in like a wedding situation, and it's and it's fitting because it talks about love. But there's also a, another really important part about love that he mentions in 1 Corinthians 13 in the first three verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. No ma- if you don't have love, no matter what you say, it does nothing. I mean, I make a lot of noise at sporting events and usually it means absolutely nothing. And, uh, and we don't want our, our teaching, our helping to correct people to be like that. We want ours to actually have purpose behind it. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and, not, and all knowledge, and if I have, and I have all faith so as, to remo- so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. Again, he continues to beat the point that no matter what you do, if you don't love the person that you're trying to help, if you don't love the sinner but not the sin, you've done nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Again, he, he seems to repeat himself over and over again. And then he goes in the passage about how love is patient and kind. And he shows how you can love people. So, in, in this world, we're going to be faced with a lot of really difficult stuff. Whether it's homosexuality, or lying, anything like that, any sins, there are going to be people who are opposed to us. As Jesus said, the world hates you, remember it first hated me. So we have to remember that we need to be gentle to those people that, that are in opposition. We need, to, we need to try and correct them, but do so in a loving manner, because without, it means absolutely nothing. Thank you.
0: You are my rock and my Redeemer I- Me to Matthew six thirty three, Matthew six thirty
1: three. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you.
0: Good evening. I'd like to thank everyone for being here tonight, and I'd like to thank Philip and the elders for letting us speak tonight. As seniors in the youth group, we have been talking a lot about leaving our legacy. This is very challenging. So what does legacy mean? The word legacy is defined as money or property bequeathed to another by will, or as something handed down from, from an ancestor or predecessor from the past. Legacies are rare and special gifts from one, from one person to another, from one generation to the next. As Christians, we should, see, we, we should seek to leave a lasting legacy of godliness for those who come behind us. Tonight, I'm reminded of the many people who have, become, who have come before us here at Mount Juliet and their legacies. We need to recognize that, they are, that we are benefiting from the things that they did to make this community better and keep this congregation faithful. Tonight, I hope I, I can encourage everyone to think about the actions they are taking today and the, and the legacy that they, they will leave behind that will impact the future, future generations. I believe that there are at least four conditions for leaving a good legacy. Number one, intentional actions focused on God. Number two, have faith in God. Number three, use compassion with others like Jesus did. And number four, tell tell others what Jesus has done for you in your life. Tonight I would like to talk about some people in the Bible and the legacy that they left for us to follow. If you would, be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 verses 1 through 10. Some of you may be familiar with this, it's, it's, it's a story of Zacchaeus. In verse one it says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said, said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So we made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have ever taken anything from anyone of false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also was a son of Abraham the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was one of the few good, good tax collectors that was a good man. It was common in the day for tax collectors to be hated by many because they, they would treat people unfairly by stealing their money and by overcharging on taxes. In verse 2, it says that he was rich. He could have had anything in the world, but he, but he wanted to see Jesus. So he climbed up in the sycamore tree so that he could see him. He put, all, he put a lot of effort into seeing Jesus. He was a short man, but he didn't let his short stature keep him from seeing over the crowd. He was very intentional in his actions to find something that would allow him to see Jesus. We need to be like Zacchaeus. We need to be very intentional in our actions and be focused on trying to live our lives in a way that people can see Jesus through us. Zacchaeus has a legacy of being a good man who is trying to find Jesus, and we, we can learn many things from his example. Now, if you would, be turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five. Here it says Jesus entered Capernaum after some day and it was heard that he was in the house and and it was heard that he was in the house immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them not even not even near the door and he preached the word to them then he then he came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men and and they could and they could not come near him because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was so that they had so that when they had broken through, they let down the bed which, on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. The men who brought the paralytic man to Jesus had great faith. So much faith that they saw a hole in the roof and lowered the man down so that Jesus could heal him. We don't know these men's names, but they are the ones that carried the man to Jesus. These men knew what they, they had to do whatever they had to bring the paralytic to him. Their legacy will forever be known as the people who brought the paralytic to Jesus. I hope we can all be known for bringing someone to Jesus. Now, if you would, be turning in your Bibles to Mark 5, 18 through 20. This is the story of the demon-possessed man. In In the verses leading up to verse 18, Jesus cleanses the man and sends the demons to the pigs, and all the pigs run off the cliff into the sea. This makes all the farmers mad because all their pigs are gone. So they tell Jesus to leave, and then it picks up in verse 18. It says, and when he got into the boat, he who had, who had, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home and tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim into capitalists all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. Jesus told him in verse 19 to go and tell your friends what the, all the great things the Lord has done for you. It then says in verse 20 that he did just that. The demon-possessed man has, has a great legacy because he told others about Jesus. We need to be like that man and try to tell people all the great things that Jesus has done for us. As I was preparing for this lesson, I came across two studies of two families in recent history that I would like to share. There was one man named Max Jukes who did not believe in religion, and he married a girl of the same opinion. From this union came 1,026 descendants. The study showed that 300 died prematurely, 100 were sent to the penitentiary, 190 sold themselves to an immoral or evil habit, 100 were drunkards, and the family cost the state of New York $1 million, or $1.1 million. Then there was a second family with a man named Jonathan Edwards. He believed in God and married a girl of like character. From that union, 729 descendants were studied, and they, and, and, and they discovered that 300 were preachers, 65 were college professors, 13 were university presidents, 6 were authors, 3 were U.S. congressmen, and 1 was vice president of the United States. The man who had a godly family has a good and lasting legacy in the world, but the ungodly family does not. Tonight, we've gone over five different examples of people and their families who have left a legacy on this earth. To summarize, let's review. Number one, Zacchaeus was a great man who was trying to see Jesus. We need to try and do everything that we can to to see Jesus just like Zacchaeus. Number two, the people who brought the paralytic man to Jesus had great faith. Their great faith and actions allowed their friend to be healed. Number three, Jesus had compassion, compassion on the demon possessed man and the man, told, and the man told people what great things that Jesus had done for him. Number four, the ungodly family that left a bad legacy which is, is, is something I hope none of us have. Number five, the godly family was very successful in life and I hope we can all be like the godly family. Tonight, I ask you, what will your legacy be? As we consider this, let's look at two verses that I encourage you to apply to your life. First is Matthew six thirty-three. It says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you." I encourage all of you to put God first in your life. God does not promise us earthly treasures, but He promises us heavenly treasures. Life may be filled with struggles, but God God promises promises us that He will help us through them if we remain faithful to Him, as we can read in Romans eight twenty-eight. Here it says, "We know that all things work together together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose." What will people remember about you when you pass on from this earth? How do you want to be remembered? If you're unsure of what your legacy will be, or if you want to make a change in your legacy that will please God, then tonight we can help you with that. If you, if you haven't been baptized yet and would like to do so, then we can help you with that as well. If you haven't been living right and you're concerned about what your legacy will be, then tonight we can pray for you. If you need anything at all, please come as we stand and as we sing.